Hello and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and the Makers of Minnesota is here to talk to cool people doing cool things throughout the state of Minnesota. And welcome to season three that we just launched. We had a great episode last week with Honey and Rye Bakehouse. And this week we are with Hannah Barnstable and she is the founder of Seven Sundays Muesli. And I have to tell you that I've seen this product around for, I don't know, Hannah, how long have you had the product? I've seen it, I think for at least three years. Oh yeah. Yep. We started um, my first farmer's market where I was like making it in tin tie bags and slinging it was the summer of 2011. So okay. We- yeah. Wow. So you've been around a really long time because I know I'd seen it in the co-op and I was like, oh, muesli, that feels like a European thing. I don't know. And then you guys sent me some and I was just, I was like, okay, this is what I had in Europe. Like, this is the thing that I loved that I've kind of been searching for that I thought was maybe granola, but it's not. So please explain to everybody listening what Musili is and why you decided to start a company. I love your initial description of it, though, because it's funny. We get a lot of fans who have some sort of memory of this type of cereal they had somewhere else. And they can't find anything in the U.S. And that's exactly our story. Uh, We weren't in Europe, but we were in New Zealand. And every morning we woke up and had this muesli style cereal, which is, you know, it's earthy. It's a blend of all different types of whole grains, nuts, seeds, and fruits. It is not sugar coated and baked like granola, you know, where it's, you know, granola to me. I've always been a big cereal fan, but it's sweet. It's kind of real crunchy. You know, muesli to me was easier to eat. It was more of an enjoyable experience. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not as sweet. It doesn't have all the oils and it's usually untoasted, um, but you still get lots of texture and stuff. And it just, it's an experience yeah. none other in, in normal U.S. cereal for sure. And I think you can, so the way I ate it was to put it in yogurt and leave it overnight, but mm-hmm. people put it with milk. People put it with water. You could do applesauce. Like you can kind of reconstitute it in a way that almost feels like a porridge sort of. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you know, we always laugh because in our house, we literally, us and our kids, we just pour milk on it just like you would a cereal and eat it right away. But I think the vast majority of people, and actually the the way that Measley was started was really fascinating. It was started by a Swiss. He was a physician. This was like late 1800s, but he, he was very natural. He felt food was medicine and his name was Maximilian Bircher Benner. The story's all over. You can read about how muesli was started and he would give this healthy breakfast or meal to his patients and he did soak it. So like you said, whether it's in yogurt or milk or even hot water, you know, it could be hot too, if you wanted. And what that does is it, it kind of soaks the grains and the nuts and the seeds and it makes them super easy to digest And then that's where he felt that was kind of the traditional way to eat a muesli is just how you described it. But of course you have people eat it all different ways now. How many flavors do you have now? And will you tell me the flavors? Yes. Um, We have eight different blends now. Three of them are, are paleo, meaning the first ingredient is either almonds or cashews. Um, And then we have our five traditional grain-based mueslis. And so our, our mueslis are our wild and free blueberry chia. We have a simple morning mix, which is vanilla, cherry, and pecan. 
We have a uh, early riser, my personal favorite, because I myself am an early riser, and it's dark chocolate and almond. Andy, what we have our classic bircher named after Maximilian, and it's got apples. It's kind of based on the original muesli recipe, and mm-hmm. that's a really good one this time of year. It always becomes our top seller in the fall because um, it's got cinnamon and apples in it. And then we have our farmer's market mix, which is an organic uh, almond date muesli, also very traditional. But the grain freeze are really fun. They're crunchy. Our rise and shine mix, we have gotten big bags in Costco recently and introduced it to a lot more people. Um, but it's got strawberries and bananas and like freeze-dried. It's, it's, it's so good, um, that one. And then we have two really fun flavors uh, that are, you know, more kind of out there for our brand. One is a golden hour grain-free and it's uh, it's got turmeric and wild blueberries in it. So it-, it I loved that one too. Oh, it's- that's a good one. And then the other one, I've always wanted to do a green muesli. So we have a lucky day muesli that has matcha tea in it, a little bit of honey, uh, pistachios, pumpkin seeds. And again, it's almond based. So those are our three paleo skews. So we have the traditional grain base and then we have the three paleo skews. The paleo ones that I've had have felt very snacky to me. Like those I didn't necessarily use as cereal. I kind of just ate them like by the oh. handful. Loved. Yep. Um, yep. It was the turmeric coconut situation that actually was like, okay, I need to record with these people because this is a little out there, but turmeric is so good for you and so anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And it's delicious. And it's like- It is little, delicious. I mean, I, you say snack on it. I mean, I eat muesli just as much as an afternoon snack than anything else because it's the one thing that will kind of conquer a craving, but I know that it's one of the healthiest things I can eat. And there's very few foods out there that do that. So I always am checking on it, you know? So let's talk about you were in New Zealand, you discovered this cereal and you have been 10 years into this. I'm sorry. I thought it was literally like four or five, but Mm -hmm. I'm impressed that 10 years later, here you are. So it's been a trajectory, but you just mentioned that you're in Costco now, and that's a long way from your farmer's market start. So can you just give me the like three, four, one, one version of how you got here? Sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously where you start is the most important part of the story. And, you know, for me, after having this different breakfast experience overseas, um, and really New Zealand's just a, it's an inspirational place on many levels, not just food and health, but also environmental and just a very special place. So when we came back and and we tried to find the muesli and couldn't, and at the time I was in finance and Brady and I were working in New York, uh, my husband at the time, and we um, decided, you know, as I kind of paced up and down the cereal aisles of every freaking grocery store in New York, I recognized that, wow, our cereal aisle in particular in the U.S., it's just full of empty calories. And this is right. The most important meal of the day. And so I, I just decided like, we're missing out on something here that could be, you know, really a game changer for people in the morning and everybody's, you know, cereal has been on a gradual decline here for over 10 years. And it just felt like something fresh and better for you was, was uh, needed. So that's where the name came up, you know, came to be. And I was so passionate about it that I very, pretty easily quit my job and uh, decided to start the company. And, you know, it was really important to me that I started a farmer's market 
that I build it, you know, from the ground up, really investing my own capital in those early days. So, I mean, we had a nice slow start. We started a family at the same time. So we now have three little kids and I learned everything there was about where our oats come from and who grows them. I mean, it was really, you know, all those details were really important for me to understand so that I could make a product that I was super proud of, both for environmental reasons, for health, families were going to eat this. So that was our start. And pretty quickly though, in those early days, probably we did a couple of years of farmer's markets. And then we, you know, we started, Minneapolis was a great great grocery scene for all the co-ops like you mentioned. And, and so we, we started selling it at retail pretty early. I always say we, but it was just me for the first few years. <laughs> um, it just sounds better to say we, right? <laughs> and then, and then since then we've, you know, we have really expanded and now we're, like you said, we're kind of in more even conventional chains, whereas we started at farmers markets and co-ops. Um, but, you know, as you build and you can do trade shows and all, all different things to, to kind of get to know, you know, other areas of the country and what retailers are there. And then, you know, with cereal, what's great about the category, there's positives and negatives, but there isn't always a ton of innovation in that aisle. And because it's kind of been a declining category, broadly speaking, you know, it's retailers are kind of wanting something that changes that course. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe more, you know, geared towards newer young families who aren't going to feed their kids what I ate growing up. You know, we had the whole shelf of every sugary cereal you can imagine. Um, And that's just changed. So when, when you look at, so you have a product that you have to be an evangelist for it because it isn't something that a lot of Americans are familiar with. So has sample I would imagine sampling has been a huge part of your trajectory and how has that been impacted with covid Ooh good question yeah i mean sampling was everything for us because i don't know you can talk about food all you want and sometimes you can capture people's attention that way but nothing captures the attention like trial and so you're absolutely right and we found that early on we're like yeah, they're not going to get it. It's kind of a hurdle for people. Breakfast is a pretty protected meal, right? People get into their routines, but if we can just get them to try it. So um, that's honestly why Costco is a great model for us. Because if you ever shop at Costco, you know that there's lots of people trying food in the store. And then we even went so far as a couple of years ago, we launched a muesli truck. It's adorable. We had it at the state fair last year and gave out like 20,000 samples of little muesli cups. And, but yeah, now with, with COVID, we had to shift to a lot more digital marketing. Um, and this is one of our, you know, biggest growth years. And we're trying to figure out how to keep, we just launched in Target two weeks ago. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, just like, and, an, you know, we're still a startup. So it's now that we can't do the sampling events, you know, how do we track people? And so we've just really moved all those funds over to digital And we, you know, one of the paths that's worked out really well is our influencer work where we get people who, you know, and, and usually people are really open to just trying stuff and then we know they like it and then they'll post something. And if that person says they like it, well, now you've got, you know, that sort of taste piece covered and, you know, all the consumers out there will feel like, okay, now I want to try this. This sounds like something. Yeah. So you're using the influencer to be the person who sampled as it were and sharing with their friends. Do you pay for influencers or is it all product trade? Um, yeah. I mean, we, we certainly will on occasion. I, I feel like if someone's, I know all the time it takes to take these photographs and stuff like that. So we try to 
you know, have a compensation program in place always to, to support their businesses, right? But we also do a lot of what we call micro influencer packages where we just say no commitment at all. Like we literally just want you and your lovely family to have some muesli. And if you like it, you're welcome to say something, but we do not, you know, require. So, so we do a little bit of both. Um, and that's been kind of, we've changed that program over the years. And of course, with the influencers in general, that's shifted a lot. Um, so we're always looking at that program. But yeah, it's a, for us, the thing that's worked best is just a little mix of both. Do you run it yourself or do you hire someone to do your influencer marketing? So I have a, a good girlfriend that I went to college with who um, had a little baby recently and she is just wonderful with PR and all things marketing. So she now works for us part-time and she's really built up the program. We used to do it, you know, in-house, but it's, it is a distraction and we want to make sure that we're keeping that program alive because it's, you know, with food, it's, it is important to have those testimonials. It's a really big, big part of our, our business. So, so she, she now is just dedicated to that. How many employees do you have besides yourself and your husband and this part-time social media influencer gatherer? So there's looking around at the chairs. (laughs) There's seven of us right now and two are, you know, more hourly part-time. So. Sure. Are you, do you have someone that's dedicated to sales that's going into grocery, that's making sure that the product's getting on the shelves? Cause that's another thing that I think has really suffered in COVID is you can have a product in a warehouse, but to get that literally onto the shelf, uh, people are really struggling. Yeah. So the salesperson is myself. Um, that's one of my passions. We have, you know, over the years, we've, we've definitely had salespeople in and we use brokers with certain accounts. But what I've learned is organization when it comes to sales is actually the best tool. So we developed our own internal process for sales and now it's much smoother and we can get a lot accomplished. Um, you mentioned COVID though, and we haven't really been focused on a lot of new distribution during COVID just because a lot of retailers are kind of cutting back their meetings. They're starting to ramp back up again, but a lot of our sales were things that we completed at the end of last year, early this year that are now just hitting shelves. Like, And it is so, yeah, it is so important. I think too, we're seeing at grocery level that some of them are cutting back on SKUs and making the store footprint a little bit smaller trying to figure out they're making the aisles are wider. Therefore they're having to reshuffle how they package things. So I think that's really smart to kind of double down on your efforts in terms of what you already have to ride out. Because I I feel like a lot of the retailers are going with the safe bets, you know, they're trying to honor their local commitments and to carry local, but they're not looking for new stuff. They're feeling kind of overwhelmed. Yeah. And I respect that. And, you know, I think it's just a crazy time to be a grocery retailer right now. And so, like you said, we, we just focus on executing, making sure we are hitting our promotions with our current accounts. I mean, that's really the most of what I've been doing. We do do, you know, a lot of business with Costco too, which is more rotational in nature. So that's easier to kind of implement programs and new stuff with. Um, And then of course our Amazon and online business is, over doubled, you know, just through this time. So were you always online or did you just go online during the pandemic? 
We have always been online, um, both on Amazon and on our own, you know, on our own storefront. Um, and, you know, the silver lining through COVID is, you know, we had this time in that March, April, May, when retailers just weren't having conversations with us. And we had to shut down our muesli truck that we had running down in Austin. And so we put all this effort, like a new fresh effort into Amazon and our online store. And it probably was something we needed to do anyway. And so now we've got that all like buttoned up and up and running. Uh, Cause so much of the digital sales, it's really just having the right photography, the right descriptions. Again, it's, it's really just execution. There's no magic there. Um, and so once we focused on it, then that part of our business really took off. And it's, it's a nice part of our business and it's growing. And so it was nice to have that time to dedicate to it. I want to ask you about something you said that I'm really interested in because I'm a salesperson at heart and I owned a company that was very sales focused and process was everything. Like from the second you came into our funnel there was a certain way that we processed every single lead and how many touches we needed to have, how many pieces of communication we needed to have. And it sounds like you've kind of done that for your food business. Can you walk me through how you manage? You said sales is just really a process of organization. And I believe that, but I want to hear you describe that for the listeners so they can understand how you think about it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I can't remember. That wasn't my idea. Someone else told me that and it clicked for me. So I don't want to take credit, but I also can't remember who first told to me. But yeah, the way that that I think, um, and I think a lot of businesses, no matter what their industry could relate to this, which is, you know, every customer should be really treated individually and has their own things that they're focused on or ways they do business. And so the only way to kind of remember all those details is to track them. And so I'll give you an example in the food world, right? So we have, you know, Lunds and Byerly's is just an awesome chain. I mean, people know of Lunds and Byerly's all over the country and the way that they do business and all of that. So Lunds and Byerly's in and of themselves have their own very specific programs that work with their customers as far as, you know, uh, how they showcase products, how they write about products in the little flyers, you know, what sells, where in the store it should be positioned. And that is like a, its own thing. And so you can't just sort of blanket sales, right? You have to look at the Lunds and Byerly's and say, okay, I know for sure that a Johnny Wing works. They do these little carts up front once a year where I can highlight a recipe. And there's all these little softer touch points. So you can't just hire someone who doesn't have, you know, a lot of experience. So it's tracking those details and working with that individual customer and knowing what programs to set up. And now you have to imagine there's retailers like that all over the country that each have their own ways of doing business. So if you don't know what works, um, and so I've just spent literally like the last five to seven years just tracking what works at every retailer and saying, okay, this is the program we'll have in place there. This is the program we'll have in place there. You know, once you have that buttoned up, it, you know, they don't change a lot. And so it's just, like you said, then it's just a matter of managing it. So when's the last time I talked to them, make sure that's noted Uh, check the box. Have I got all the promotions in? Is my price point right? Is my shelf placement right? Do they have the right SKUs? And then I keep my most important column in my sales tracker is next steps so that I know whenever I have a pocket of time to dedicate to sales, I can just go down that column and say, what are the next steps with each of these guys? And then I can, you know, tackle it that way. Do you schedule your sales time on a calendar? My current state of life has no scheduling or organization to it. 
So the answer to that is no right now. <laughs> Does that feel bad? Of course. Because yeah. of COVID, right? Because you've got kids at home. Are you homeschooling and yeah. online distance learning? And Yes. Yeah. So Stephanie, we, so Brady works for the company, right? He's our COO. I'm the CEO. Those are our whatever. If you want to apply labels, those are our roles. But then we have, you know, three kids and one is a kindergartner. So, you know, very difficult to, we're in Minneapolis, so it's all virtual. And then we have a third grader and a two-year-old. So we are, that's, you know, that's a big challenge. Our biggest challenge right now is where do we focus on the company in the way that we could before all this, because before all this, we had the daycares and school. And so we could come in and have these full working sessions where we're together and we're working through things. And suddenly we can just barely, you know, make it through the day and get everything covered. (laughs) So we have been, um, you know, it's been a struggle and we've had to let go of a lot of things. And um, I think we're, we're trying to get back into it now and get our team back in the office again, um, because we've all been virtual. And so we're cautiously kind of, getting back together again as a team so that we can start pushing things forward. Uh, We've been really lucky that we've gotten through this and been able to manage it because, you know, we're a shelf stable food products. I really don't have, you know, many complaints here because it's been, you know, we, we, we said at at one point a couple months ago, Brady and I were like, this is the first time ever where we are happy to own a food company. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah you see all the negatives and the industry and all that. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, finally, like, it feels like it's okay to have a food company because everyone's still eating. So, so anyway, that, that right now for sure is just kind of being able to focus on the business is a big challenge for us because it's two of us at home with the kids and balancing all of that. I read an article or I know I listened to a podcast where someone was saying really high performing people are, obviously having struggles during COVID because where we used to be able to get like 10 things done in a day, no problem. Now one is good. Two is great. And three is like, wow, you really accomplished a lot today just because of all that we're dealing with in terms of the periphery of our lives. That is just really present. And just the uncertainty that we're experiencing every day from our leaders, from our school systems, from our government, whatever it is that you're experiencing, there is no end game here. There is no, we're going to just be in this level of uncertainty for a long time. And high achievers don't like that. They want to solve things. They want to solve problems. They want to get in, get it done, move on to the next thing. So it's really requiring like a whole new level of thinking And that's exhausting for a lot of people. And then you add the kids and trying to uh, homeschool on top of it and do the distance learning. It's, it's challenging for lots of people. So I appreciate where you're at. And I imagine organization just becomes more important than ever because it's all you can hang on to. Yeah. Yep. And, and the learning to divide and conquer and, you know, honestly, it's, it's, our schedules are really funny right now. Like I've always been a morning person, but now I'm, a really early morning person because I know that between four and eight, I could get a solid chunk of stuff done um, with no interactions. And I don't know, you know, it's not for sure when the rest of the day is that where I could get that done. So you start finding really odd times to get stuff done. Yeah. It's yeah. But, but I will say, um, you know, both Brady and I traveled a lot and 
you know, cause he was operations. So he'd be at the manufacturers, um, with the runs and then I'd be on sales calls and trade shows and everything else. And so I know like between January and February, I think every week we were gone, you know, one of us was gone or both of us was gone. And that was probably adding just a lot of stress. You think of all the coordination around travel and all the kind of dead time in the airports and stuff like that. And with all of that gone, there has been, again, I'm trying to focus on the silver lining here, but like there has been some more clarity than we've had before because we don't have all the distraction of coordinating schedules and travel and all of that. So um, that part of it, I've been really happy about. And I think being a working mom, that probably feels a little bit better too, because people love traveling and traveling for their work, but it does take a toll on the family trying to balance all that. There's just no question. Yeah, absolutely. All that kind of guilt and the kids, you know, with a two-year-old too, she doesn't want mommy to go anywhere right now. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Are there other products that when you're in the grocery store, you're just like, wow, these people are killing it? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, all the time I have all kinds of food crushes. I'm, I'm, I am a grocery store addict. So I would like to, my happy places are in a grocery store or in my kitchen. And that's, you know, so I will just peruse grocery store shelves and I've got brands that I, I really love. I'm trying to think of where I could even start. I'm kind of a local addict too. And I, I appreciate a good, a good um, story and a good, you know, if I, if I know the folks behind it, that gives me even, you know, even better feeling about it. Um, so as an example, I don't know if you're familiar with whole grain milling. Yes, um, I am. They're just, and we, <laughs> they used to deliver, you know, bags of rye and barley and oats to our house in my early days. And then they throw me a, free bag of chips or a hat or something like that. So I've known them for a really long time. And I have to say, we are huge consumers of all their products now. So obviously I got on the sourdough kick. So I'm doing <laughs> bread and I, so I buy all their flowers in bulk. We go through their freaking corn chips, like nobody's business. I've got a bag sitting at the table right now. Their pancake mix is out of this world. So there's companies like that where I just have a big crush on because We've been visiting their farm for years. They grow our buckwheat still for our muesli. And, you know, I know it all the way down to the ground, right? Sure. So, you know, I'd say my food crushes aren't, you know, always about like big national brands that have really succeeded, but more just like people doing the right thing with food. I think that's what I'm really drawn to. And I think what, what they're doing on that farm is just, it's the way it should be. Which leads us to that you're a B Corp and you're one of the few local makers that I've talked to that actually is. So can you tell me about that process and why it was important to you? Yes, for sure. That's right. Yes, we are. We are a B Corp. You know, we're a new B Corp. So we did transition a little over a year ago now. And it was a big process. It took us about six months and it was really good for us. The reason we did it, because honestly, most of what it means to be a B Corp, we had been doing since day one, like a lot of businesses, you just kind of, you know, the way that you treat your employees or the way that you, where you source your ingredients, all that stuff was innate in our culture anyway. So none of it was, you know, anything new we had to do. It was just more getting the procedures in place and formalizing it. And so the, the main reason we did it, Stephanie, was because we were starting to really expand nationally and our kind of homegrown story here that spreads word of mouth, I don't think is sufficient when all of a sudden your product's sitting on a Target shelf in Georgia or whatever, right? It's like, how can we very quickly tell a consumer that we stand for something and that we're a small, 
you know, family owned business that has these sets of values. So a lot of it was just how do we quickly tell people about us without you know, having to know Hannah and Brady, right? That's just not going to happen. So that was a big thing. And then we felt like as we were growing too, we wanted to make sure that all those important things that started in the early days, and especially with Brady and I running the company, that those stay in place. And that's the cool part about a B Corp certification is it's a part of your, um, you know, your operating documents. So you can't change those. And so the, those will stick with, not that we're planning on taking off anytime soon, but like, we know now that it's it's really a part of our DNA. So that was important for us too. But yeah, it was it was a, a really great process to go through. It's not, you know, some of these certifications you feel like there's money behind it or a profit that's desired. And, and this is totally different. Uh, my favorite thing about it being a B Corp is every year you have to show improvement. So it is not a check the box, like, look, look, we did it, you know, we do all these things. I've checked it. We're done. You, you have to keep coming back and showing. And so it forces us like to give you an example, we're working on reducing our plastic right now in a big way. And maybe we would have thought about that had we not had the B Corp certification, but now we have in the back of our heads that we have these goals we need to meet. And so we're running really hard to develop films and things that have recycled content in them. So projects like that, that now we can like proudly and confidently say this is a priority for our company, you know. At some point, do you think that you might sell like in a bowl, like ready to go instead of in a, a package? We actually, you know, this is, if you think we've been around four or five years, you probably missed the whole cups that we did, which were little I did. individual cups. And, you know, we got out of that business, I think because of a couple of reasons, but one big one was it just didn't align with our core audience, which is, which is families. And, um, you know, it was a lot of packaging, right? And a lot yeah. of shipping. It just didn't really align with our environmental values. So we got in and then out of an individual uh, kind of cup business. And it's funny, to this day, our bulk packages that we sell on Amazon or in Costco are like huge, way more volume than just our regular size. So yeah. you can tell our consumer is, uh, you know, much more focused on getting that value in that bigger bag than they are the convenience of a cup. So which is which is a great story and lends itself to families, obviously, right? Right. Or high consuming cereal. Buy them out as a little company. You see other people yeah. do it, so you think you should do it, and that's how you learn. All right. So if you were to like, you have a couple every, I know you're just goal oriented person. I can see this in you. So like if you're marching towards the next six months, like what's one goal you're going to be working on to move the company forward? Oh, you know, we are on the verge of making a really big announcement on a brand new product line. And that is all I have on my radar for the next Sure because it kind of takes us, you know, one of my, my running goals is to be a, a well-known enough breakfast brand to where we're a common staple in people's cupboards. Like that's, that seems like a weird thing to say, but just to where, you know, it's not always telling who we are, but that, you know, people have grown to love our products over time. Mm -hmm. And now we're kind of a staple for the morning, right? Which I passionately believe is the most important meal of the day. So we, are launching a line that that kind of takes us beyond muesli, actually. And we're super excited about it. And it's just starting to 
barely hit shelves and next week it'll be full on in shelves in Whole Foods. So we'll be announcing. So, okay. This podcast won't run until the following Wednesday. I was going to ask so you. <laughs> maybe you can tell us. Do you think? Yeah. And if I'm, you can't, I respect <laughs> your position. Yeah, no, I, I will. I will tell you. I, I was going to try to ask you without interrupting the podcast. No, it's okay. Going to play, but then I will share it. So we are launching. I'm so fired up about this. It's a boxed cereal. So it's a traditional crunchy cereal, but what it's, it's, it's very different than anything that has ever existed before in the ingredients that we use. So a lot of times, again, the box cereals have a lot of empty calories or a lot of sugar. And the beauty of these in classic seven Sundays fashion is that the ingredient list is only real things. We don't use any natural or artificial flavorings at all. So for example, our berry flavor has real blueberries and strawberries and that's it. And it's also made with a sunflower protein. That's the base. And so we have three flavors, berry, cinnamon, and cocoa. The base is a sunflower meal, which is actually a byproduct from, if you go to like sunflower fields or you see, you know, they're all over the Midwest, they're mainly there for the production of sunflower oil. And so this really high protein, nutrient dense flour is either getting tossed or turned into animal feed. So we've been working with those suppliers to create the cereal product. So it's grain free, high in protein. Super clean label, no sugar. So it's sweetened with dates or coconut sugar, that kind of thing. But who are you getting your sunflower meal from? Is it someone local? It is. Uh, do you know Smoots? Yes, that's why I was going to ask Tom and his wife, and that's yes. fantastic. Yeah, they they and it, it you know we had to work with somebody local and small like that because this was a big ask. You know, it was like we need it to be converted to food grade, um, to get it through the process. We needed a certain level of oil containment in there, dryness. So um, it was a really big R&D project. It's like, you know, what do they say? Trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. You know, this product is not typical for, you know, for like an extruded cereal product. So it, <laughs> I cannot wait to try it. Will you make sure to send me some? I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Yeah. So launching in all Whole Foods stores nationwide. That's big too. You're going right yeah. from we we developed it to it's launching in Whole Foods nationwide. It's a really exciting product. We um, we couldn't be more ecstatic. It's just with the muesli, you know, the muesli is like my firstborn and I'm so proud of that product. But yet whenever I go to straighten the shelves or check it out, you know, I'm always checking out my product. You're walking by all these, these box cereals and it just, you know, our muesli has just been so fun and we built such a good loyal following, but at the same time, I don't feel like it was able to accomplish our whole original goal of being a staple for people. And this product is, you know, going to be both very familiar to virtually all Americans, right? Box cereal. It's made with the integrity and quality of seven Sundays, which is just a whole, you know, we like to make our lives really difficult is how we describe ourselves. And so. No, this is a great opportunity. And I love that. Like, I think I met Tom and Smood was on our, uh, Smoody was in our podcast, I think the first year, if people want to go back and listen. And I just remember, like, the thing that stuck out about him was how committed he was to using all of the sunflower to regenerating his soil to finding a way to produce a product that wasn't harming the environment. And he was putting everything on the line. Like, 
every dollar he made, he was reinvesting into more equipment, more farms, more machinery, more stuff. And I just was like, wow, if I, I really hope this guy gets it. I hope he gets successful. And he's really, he's done. I mean, he's got the oils, he's got a baking oil, he's got the Mediterranean oil that you put on bread, just sunflower oil in general, plus the popcorn. I mean, it's just crazy all the stuff he's done over there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'll, I will be listening to that. I didn't realize that you had done a podcast with them, but we love new partnerships and having a good feeling with partners is something that is better than any legal contract that ever existed. I've determined over the years. And so just hearing his story um, and Brady and the kids went out there um, at, you know, in our divide and conquer state, they've been to the farm and, but yeah, I, I'm very excited about it. And I love that they're local, right? Anytime yeah. that um, and actually visit and get to know them is, is that much better for us, but also for our consumers so that they know where, where they're, where the product's coming from. Well, big things on the horizon. I thank you for spending time with me today. I'm really excited for this new venture and we'll have to catch up. I usually try to catch up with people in about a year from when I've talked to them. So we'll catch up in a year and see where we've gotten with the cereal, huh? Yes. Well, you'll hear from me prior to that uh, with some samples. So, <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Hannah. I appreciate uh, your Thanks. time today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. 